Welcome to Everything Speaks If You Listen with Jen Cobbleworks, where we befriend our humanity and the sacred through story, soul questions, and everyday life. I'm your host, Jen Cobblewilhoit. Well, we are at an even dozen podcast episodes. And I hope there's at least a dozen more. I have had so much fun recording these and I have some thoughts about the next few episodes. I think we're going to turn some corners, step away from the examine for a while and look at one of my very favorite myths, uh, that of Persephone and Demeter. And I think we're also going to talk about, oh, how do I describe this? Um different characteristics or uh, archetypes or faces of God. Does that make sense? Hmm. I have been uh, kind of receiving some inspirational imagery around different qualities of the sacred. And um, I would love to share them with you. So that's all coming up in the next few weeks. This week, I want to wrap up our season together with the examine. We will revisit this daily ritual and this practice. Reflection and introspection, inner listening is the core of what I share with you guys. It's the core of my own practice. It's how I navigate existential questions, questions of the heart, spiritual questions that often don't really have any answer, but somehow engaging with them in a regular basis, on a regular basis, creates a kind of soul friendship um, with myself and with the sacred. And I really believe this practice creates that anamkara, that soul friendship for anyone who resonates with it. This last step has us right back to the beginning. It has us back to gratitude. Traditionally, you will, you could research the examine, and I hope you do if you're interested in it. Lots of different voices on any subject is wonderful, amended, rich soil for anyone. We never want to be living in an echo chamber of just ourselves or just one source. So if you're curious about this, go explore and see how other voices frame this and see how the original tradition still frames it. You will likely, if you do this, see a lot of people talking about this step only having and this practice only having five steps. I extend this practice for several reasons. One, because when I was taught by my first teacher on this practice, we talked a lot about the rhythms of learning, especially soul learning, spiritual learning, this kind of thing where we feel like we've kind of understood something and come to some depth of um. I don't want to say mastery, but like we've, we, we've, we've kind of assimilated something and synthesized something deep in our bones, deep in our experience, deep in our, our being. And we kind of feel like maybe we graduate a little bit like, oh, I've, I've learned some things about self-care or I've learned some things about boundaries or I've learned some things about integrity or I've learned some things about discernment, and we leave that season of deep learning. And then, undoubtedly, these same themes could be around loneliness, abandonment, like I said, boundaries, it could be around codependence, it could be around self-confidence, it could be um, wounded places in us, it could be... um, a dream and a kind of scholarship that we've done over time, they, these things all come back. 
the the phrase I grew up with hearing, even though I did not grow up in an evangelical setting and never heard anyone really talking about the devil, the, the folkloric phrase I grew up with as a kid was the devil always comes back in a different dress, which is a, a little bit of a pessimist way of seeing our soul growth lessons. Um, it's really back to that onion metaphor that so many of us have, have encountered, where you kind of excavate, you learn, you assimilate, you synthesize, you integrate, and then pretty soon there's another layer beneath that and another layer. And it's all kind of the same core lesson or the same core theme, the same core invitation, just arriving at different times in our life. And sometimes, like the saying goes, in a different presentation to say, hey, let's see what this um, dream or this wound or this growth curve, this frontier within you and around you. Let's see what it looks like when we encounter it from a completely different perspective, a different landscape, a different context, a different age. You get my drift. This is a whole bunch of stuff that happens in the rhythm and the experience of growing spiritually, of maturing, of getting to know ourselves and also getting to know spirit in whatever way we come to know the divine. So when I was studying with my first teacher and learning the examine, one thing he and I talked about were these rhythms and the cyclical kind of spiralic nature, the way that um, things would fold onto each other. And we talked about this as a pattern that's even seen mathematically in nature and and how we see it in the seasonality of the way that winter gives way to spring, to summer, to fall, and and the seasonality of just the day and the moon cycles. And we both felt like, especially given the kind of despair I was feeling at the time when I first learned this practice, it was important to anchor in this seasonality, this cyclical nature, and to remind myself that beginnings are endings and endings are beginnings. So we start with gratitude and I was taught that we end with gratitude again, as an anchor and as a way to remind ourselves that we come full circle, even if we are in a slightly different place after each of these ritual practices, each of these reflection sessions, um, we, we come back to the start. And that's where we launch off into our day. So the practice gets this lovely wheel of time aspect to it, kind of um, seasonal wheel feel to it with this inclusion of gratitude at the end. I, um, I recall my teacher telling me too that St. Ignatius who founded and, and who, who created or channeled or received this practice, however you, you want to say that he shared it with humanity, um, he was known for for saying that if if there's only one sin out there, it's a dearth of gratitude. Now, I think between you and me, St. Ignatius of all the different saints wasn't exactly known as the most fun-loving guy. I don't think he's known as being like a ball of laughs. I think he's considered kind of strict. I feel like I have a contemplative meditative and um, prayerful relationship with him. And to me, he's kind of like a funny coach. <laughs> when, I, when, when I experience his energy, for lack of a better term, he, he's kind of like a, a bit of a very loving taskmaster with, with a sense of humor. But all that to say, I think a 16th century uh Spanish imperialist army turned man of God could possibly have some pretty strict notions about sin. I mean, I'm just going on a limb here and thinking that's not <laughs> not outside the field of possibility. So he he definitely saw 
plenty of wrongdoing with humanity that um, nowadays we would maybe frame in some different contexts and look at in a different way. But I do think it's interesting and really beautiful that the one thing that he was going to point out that he found the most troubling about our predilection for mistake making in growth or our inner and outer invitation perhaps to center ourselves before we listen to another, all the different ways that we can really kind of mess up, for lack of a better term. It was a lack of gratitude that he pointed out very often. And we have talked in the gratitude episode, and I won't go over this too much, but about how gratitude can really be weaponized and used as a way to make you feel pretty guilty and don't you feel awful when you have all these wonderful things, blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of that kind of um, verbiage around gratitude at times. But what we're talking about in this practice and what I believe St. Ignatius was getting at when he was talking about a lack of gratitude being something that really distances ourselves from our soul center from from the sacred and from each other, from humanity. Um, talking about ingratitude as, as one of the biggest displacers of true connection. I think what he was trying to say is that it's not just a an off-the-cuff, you should not ever feel bad in life because you have all this stuff to be grateful for. I don't really think even with his location in imperialist Spain and, and, and the landed gentry that he was born into, even with all of that, I don't think he was talking about a brush off, um, don't you feel bad? You have so much you should be grateful for. Why, why are you whining? I think he was genuinely talking about seeing things that bring you alive, seeing and honoring and naming what you cherish, seeing and honoring and naming what is special to you in a day, no matter how small or how big, because it is a form of mutual seeing. It's a way we open up our eyes and our heart and we wake ourselves up to the beauty and miraculousness of the life that courses through us and everyone around us, including the natural world that we are a part of and, and in kinship with. I think he really meant naming where we fall in love. And that is where this practice starts and where it, where it ends. And it is meant to be a fortification for us to be a nourishment. It's meant to help us understand more of who we are, of what we find dear and precious. I think gratitude in this vein also helps us remember that when we're seeking change in ourselves and the world, we can, when we can do it from a posture of what we love and who we love deeply, we are less defended, less hypervigilant, less defensive, less seeking a fight towards something else, and more like fighting for or on the behalf of something that we hold very dear. It feels like a posture of moving towards with conviction and openness and and hope and trust rather than a uh, armoring up to defend and to be afraid of what might be taken from us. Gratitude puts us in, <clears throat> excuse me, in a generative place, I think, rather than a defensive posture. And I do think that is a beautiful offering from somebody who has had roots 
in war, in empire. <clears throat> Excuse me. My voice this week is a little off, you guys. So thanks for bearing with me. But I do think this is a beautiful um, invitation from somebody who did have his roots in war, had his roots in nobility, um, and and having position over in a hierarchical and power sense over others, who had his roots in empire, who wore armor and wielded weapons for him to receive, practice, and share a daily ritual that undoes so much of that posture and invites us into connection with ourselves and the sacred through a place of listening and through a place of mutual seeing and a place of gratitude and joy that's quite revolutionary and i i do i do feel like it had this practice has revolutionized my life it has opened my heart there is a hidden step to the examine though that you will rarely ever see mentioned and in my newest iteration of my step-by-step examine cards the card deck that walks you through the practice step-by-step with illustrated cards that have some written paragraphs on on each step to kind of help you go through um the process organically but without having to kind of remember it all in your head that card deck I expanded when I re-illustrated things and I adjusted some of the copy and some of the language and the main place where I expanded it is this hidden unspoken step and it is the one that happens after the second gratitude and before you practice the next day and that action that step is action it's living it's doing, it's acts, it's movement, it is embodiment. And this is really important because contemplation and reflection and inner listening are beautiful, revolutionary, important, meaningful practices. It is a necessary gift that we give ourselves to gently inquire within, to journey within, to face our fears, to face our our biases, to face our experiences, to face our wounds, to face our dreams, to face our hopes, to face our what ifs. It is a wonderful gift when we pause even for just a moment or two every day or something close to it, get quiet and ask ourselves, who am I? Who am I becoming? What happened today? Sacred, who are you? What are you doing in my life? How are you speaking to me? When we go and we search intentionally for meaning and purpose, and we listen within, it is absolutely gorgeous and wonderful. And without action, it can be a form of disembodiment. It can become a form of denial, obfuscation, and avoidance. We reflect and practice introspection because it helps us connect to ourselves. It helps us connect to the sacred, but it helps us connect to the world that we live in. Not as self-righteous know-it-alls, not as people who know better than or stand above someone else or another being or even just the cycles of the earth and stuff in general. This isn't a place of domination. It's a place of relationship. And if we are to reveal and uncover things about ourselves that need healing or need expression or are longing for repair and amendment, or growth, or expansion, or release, we cannot merely just think about it. It is not a reflection practice where we stay in a state of prayer. It is expected that when we finish the ritual of examine, 
we go out and live our lives as best as we can aligned with what we just reflected on. So if we go through steps and we get to say the mend and tend step and we realize that there was a misunderstanding in one of our relationships and a conversation and possibly an apology or explanation or just a working out of perspectives needs to happen. We don't just name that internally and go, that would be great. We go and seek that individual out and we endeavor to have that conversation based on the reflection that came to us. If we are noticing a pattern with what enlivens us and a pattern with what breaks our hearts and makes us feel isolated and separated or despairing, if we're noticing a pattern of what is giving us a charge and a spark, keeping us up at night and calling for our attention, the examine is, is implying, it is saying very, <laughs> very clearly, go take action on those things. Go seek out the extra help and guidance you may need. Go join the activity or the group that is engaging in social justice protest. Or go take the class. Go expand your mind in real ways. Go take the walk. Go invite the friend. Go ask out on the date. Go on the pilgrimage. Make the attempt Go do something that aligns with what has been bringing you alive or breaking your heart. We don't just think about those things and put them in the diary of our soul. We go as best as we can and try to live based on what we have reflected on and what we believe the sacred has has told us about. Here's the kicker. Um, and St. Ignatius, who's considered a father of discernment, the guy got pretty good at listening within and listening to the sacred. He was also very clear near the end of his life that more often than not, he got it quote unquote wrong. When we go out and put the rubber on the road, when we try to walk the walk and not just talk the talk, when we try to live lives of integrity and alignment, when we try to have our actions align with our deepest intentions, when we try to understand our appetites, our wills, our desires, and how they line up with the invitations from the sacred and, and what the divine is kind of calling us into being or growing or cultivating, when we go and we try to put legs on this stuff, we try to go make it real, we, we're going to mess up. We're going to mess up in beautiful ways and we're going to mess up in ways that are painful. That is precisely why the next day's examine is available to us. So that we can look back and go, what did I learn from doing that? Was I right? And after a while, I'm going to just say very bluntly, these questions like, did I do the right thing, start to get, they just kind of start to fade away. What right looks like is a changing notion. It's a subtle, nuanced notion. It feels really black and white and binary and dualistic sometimes when we're theoretically looking at it. And in practice, you already know this. I know this too. Living into our values gets real messy in the real world. It's not always clear. And things we were 100% sure it was the intuitive inner wisdom path that we felt super aligned with when we go out and put, put legs on that and put our feet on the, on the path with that. It just doesn't always pan out the way we think. People talk about manifesting a lot. I have all kinds of different thoughts on that that I don't need to be getting be getting into in this podcast episode, but there is a um 
there is a notion kind of as a as above so below that like um the will of god the will of heaven above us elevated high-minded whatever evolved needs to like come down into humanity and like we're going to embody it i don't I, I, I'm not going to dunk on that. I, I think kind of receiving a higher level of consciousness on something or a more enlightened view on something is, well, it's enlightening. I mean, it's it's beautiful. But the examine works a little bit more horizontally, a little bit more flat. You, We're going out and seeing the sacred within us and in all things around us. We're trying to greet ourselves and our neighbor and the universe, the cosmos, like living things, creatures, other humans. We're trying to see the the divine presence in all of those things. Like the, the person next to us on the bus. The dog that won't stop barking at nothing when you're trying to get work done. The child who... You love to pieces, but you just cannot seem to find common ground with and the homework isn't getting done and you're not understanding how to parent this other human being and and you're not understanding what they need and they're not understanding your perspective. And these same kinds of relationships and confusions happen with, say, our parents or our siblings or our lovers or our friends, our bosses, our colleagues. What what are you not understanding about my point of view? How come this there's tension here? How come there's there's um, some static here? How come we keep missing each other in in our in our shared understanding and comprehension of things? And the examine is asking, like, can we see the sacred in these relationships? Can we see? the divine can we see something unique and creative and generative and merciful and compassionate and beautiful and, and sacred in all of this it's a um i think of it as a root system sometimes i imagine it like all of our veins and arteries and our all of our all of our pulmonary system, I think of it sometimes as our nervous system. I think of it as um, the kind of web of dark matter in outer space. You know, think of like the the fungal network in between tree roots, a spider web. There's like this flattened lack of hierarchy, just this multi-pathed out, multi-pathed kind of outreach going on in our day-to-day lives at. <clears throat> And it's not always clear what direction to go in. Even even when we've done some reflection and some listening, suddenly in the moment, the thing that seemed so clear when we were quiet and in solitude doesn't seem viable now or doesn't feel as right and, and we're unsure. And this is part of humanity. This is part of spirituality too. It's not about the narrow knife's edge path that you can never make a mistake on. It's about how are we able to continue to return home to ourselves, return home to our sacred center, but look at others, look at the life outside of us and see all of these other hubs, so to speak, of sacred center, all of these other living connections of divinity, of life, of spark, of purpose, of meaning, it's not just listening to that within us. It's about identifying it and honoring it and respecting it outside of us. And some of those connections, friends, I do not have to. I mean, <laughs> dang it, things are so, so divided and so scary in the world right now. And that's one reason why this practice is so provocative, so challenging, but so helpful to me. Because we are invited to not, I don't, 
I mean, this is going to sound a little banal, but not worry so much about the exact godly, right, enlightened, perfect way we're asked to do the most aligned, best way we know in the moment, understanding as much as we do of our own humanity and the humanity in the life around us, and to know that when beautiful things happen as we stumble and walk, and when mistakes happen as we stumble and walk, this web of life that we are all connected in are, is going to give us invitation over and over to turn away from a path that wasn't working, to go in a different direction, to U-turn, to connect and then reconnect, to go back and say, I got this wrong. I thought I understood. I didn't. I have more information now. It is a, it is not just a top down, bring it into being process. It is a inward and outward rhythm over and over and over again. We go in and reflect. We listen to ourselves and to the sacred. Then we go out into this interconnected web of life and we try to live in alignment and in integrity with what we just reflected on. And it sometimes goes great and it sometimes doesn't. And then we go back in to the inner web again. And then we go out. So after gratitude, it's in my card deck, like I said, I put it in because I will be blunt. I'm somebody who could live in my head and in my imagination all the time if I wanted to. I have to be reminded that I don't just have to think about the apology. I don't have to just think about the big dream. I don't have to just consider the next ta- next task on the horizon and then keep it in this philosophical, existential, poetic landscape, which is gorgeous and beautiful and necessary. Like I said, I love this landscape. But we have to leave our own front door. We have to move our bodies out into the world. Use our voice, our hands, our personality, the gifts we've been discovering through this reflection. We have to put them to use. And by wrapping up the reflection with gratitude, hopefully what we're doing is we're putting ourselves into the world with a heart of service, a heart of love. But you know, we are not going to be perfect purveyors and conveyors of the insight that we glean from introspection and inner listening. But the next day, we sit down and we reflect again. And we learn a little bit more. And we go out. And we make connections. And we experience disconnections. And we reconnect. And we do what we can. And then we come back into ourselves. And we reflect again. Over time, all these experiences, coupled with this contemplative posture of inner listening and being open to uncertainty and mystery they kind of rock tumble us a little bit and those experiences become a kind of wisdom and I don't think you'll find this surprising I would not I would bet this is your experience too but my experience of this leavening of this polishing from what happens to us into what becomes wisdom doesn't necessarily make us more expert in anything. It doesn't make us, quote unquote, like better people. It makes us oftentimes more sensitive people, more empathetic people, more humble people, where we don't look at power struggles of who's more important than who. We We just see a shared kinship. It often makes us more compassionate people. I have found it 
it makes me somebody who's more moved more easily towards both tears and laughter. But I'm not, I'm not like better. I, I and everyone I know who's ever taught me, not just this practice, but any reflective practice, when they move from experience into wisdom over time, they don't become super smarty pants. They become <laughs> more of themselves and more gentle with themselves and with others. And they also become more active. They, they don't just sit and think. They, they do. This is a crossroads I find myself on big time right now. I want to just keep thinking and drawing and like musing and wondering. But there's this wild God out there, this fierce, untamed, wild spirit within and wandering through this world, through everything, enlivening everything, showing up in more ways than I can ever imagine, in unsurprising, in in surprising places. And this wild spirit of the divine will not let me sit around and just think. It's going to boot my rump, get my hinder into more action. Because we are embodied beings. We are not floating heads. We are not just in a dream state. This is not actually the matrix. It's, life is not an illusion or a delusion. It's real. And <clears throat> we actually have skills and means to create change. <coughs> Excuse me. To create change from a source of love for ourselves and others. Um, it's obviously easier said than done. Obviously, there are lots of good intentions that don't always work out. There's lots of times doing this practice where I feel like my discernment and insight is about as clear as mud. There are lots of times I have to just belly laugh at myself that I think you know, Jennifer, why, why aren't you smarter or wiser about this? But answers don't always come to us, as you well know, when we want them the most. They come in their season, or sometimes they never come and we're given more questions. What I know is that what this practice has done is help me befriend my humanity and befriend the humanity and the life around me to seek more compassion and more connection rather than more posturing and more defensiveness. This practice has helped me see something precious and sacred and deeply meaningful alive in my life and around me. It's helped me see and bear witness that we all have different ways of encountering and being in relationship with this sacred energy. What really resonates and makes sense for me as a practice and as language and as anchor and as a new horizon is not what would resonate with someone else. And yet when I listen to the the faith experiences of someone else or when I listen to someone else tell me that they do not hold to a tradition at all or do not practice any kind of faith, but they tell me what matters to them in their life and what motivates them, I still am seeing a sacred force there. I'm still encountering something bigger than me that is generative and compassionate and benevolent and creative and wildly active, wildly dreaming, wildly embodied, coming in shapes and expressions more diverse than I could ever name. And this, this practice shows me 
that, that diversity within and that diversity around. And it's, it's a beautiful thing to see. It can be an overwhelming thing to see. But I believe I have done more healing and more growth and more reconnection because of this ritual practice than with almost any other thing I've ever done. And I will say that not because the examine really solves every issue. It's that it is just constantly guiding and pushing and inviting and provoking and challenging in the most loving way. I've taken risks and experienced vulnerabilities and sought help and and gone on kind of internal and external adventures because this practice has helped me see that it was the time and the season to do those things in my life. But none of it really bears what Ignatius would call the fruitfulness of the practice if we don't take the steps. If you are like me and you feel like you don't really know what step to take, if you find yourself on the front porch of your life very, very often where you're not quite You're neither here nor there. You kind of have left some things behind and you kind of have a new horizon. You're not quite sure how how to bridge the gap, how to take the next step. If you're like me and you, you feel called by some big ideas, but you don't really know if you're quote unquote good enough to risk them. If you aren't sure that you are brave enough to try if you aren't even sure you know really how to even get started on any of the things that this practice and your inner listening may be bubbling up and inviting you towards. I want you to know that you're not alone. I don't think there's a spiritual teacher out there, not Buddha, not Ignatius, not Jesus, not I don't think there's anyone out there who's ever walked this earth, listened to their soul, and also listened to every other part of their humanity, and just found it easy peasy, no problem, to just connect the dots between all the internal intentions and invitations and the outside actions. I don't think anybody is just born with a ton of creative spark, ignition, kinetic energy, courage, and bravery without a lot of practice and also a lot of companionship. So whatever is on your horizon, internally or externally, no matter how confident or competent or capable or courageous you may think you are or are not. I am reaching my hand out to you in my own kind of energetic way and say, let's go. Let's go to the horizon. Let's take our gifts Let's take our invitations, let's take our intentions, let's take our deep confidence, our weak confidence, let's take our bravery, let's take our mouse squeak courage, let's take whatever spectrum we have of our tools within us, let's take the hand of the sacred as we each know it, I'll grab spirit the way I know how to grab spirit. You grab spirit the way you know how to hold on to spirit. I will hold your hand. You hold mine. Let's leap off this porch and go just try to live into what is calling us from within and from without. 
this is why we're called to action is because we all need to help each other in the leaping, the leap of faith. I don't think we really do it by ourselves. And I don't think we do it once. I think that just like the examine and just like the phases of the moon and just like the tides and just like the seasons and just like circles and just like spirals and just like all of the beautiful cyclical revolutions that our inner and outer life and this universe has, has, we get to try and try and try again. We don't get just one leap of faith all by ourselves. We don't get just one go. Every day we get another shot, another try, another attempt. And every day we get to do it together. With our our own wild soul and with the sacred and with each other. And if we fall on our face or our wings don't quite flap or whatever, we get to try again and again and again. Someday I'll tell you how I got to meet the poet David White and he told the story from the New Testament of Peter trying to step off the boat and stand on the water with Jesus and how his interpretation of that changed my life. And sometime I will tell you how that story changed for me in my own contemplative practice and why it is that when I do sit around and have meditative time where Jesus shows up, he and I usually are floating on our backs in the ocean at night, pointing out the stars. And that's the only kind of walking on water I've ever been asked to do, but that's a story for another time. My point is that the leap of faith, I think, is done in concert, friends. I think it's done over and over and over again. I think it is a cyclical, revolutionary act, meaning it's something that revolves and goes over and over, and it fundamentally transforms us. We don't just get one. And the examine pushes us right up to that edge. We get done with our practice, and then it's, it's go time. To the best of our ability, go. Live, seek, connect, try. And then tomorrow we'll practice and reflect again. This, by the way, and I don't hope, I hope to heck I don't sound super preachy. Just get excited. But this is why I think we call it practice. I don't think it's just because we do it over and over again. And that beautiful cyclical invitation and rhythm is certainly a part of it. I think it might be called practice also because it's just an attempt. It's just one leap of faith out of thousands of leaps of faith. It's just one attempt to go live into your values with your body and your words and your deeds. And then tomorrow you can have a new attempt, possibly on the very same subject, possibly with the very same issue, possibly with the very same invitation. Cynically, our modern society calls this a hamster wheel. Spiritually, hopefully, it's much more than that. The routinized routine of this, of this daily reflection, the over and over again of our lives, can certainly feel boring and like a trap, but it also is the mother of learning. It's how we grow. It's how we show up. It's how we try. It's how we strive. And I think that is very, very, very sacred in and of itself. I don't know that 
I don't know that we even need to worry about getting it right if we just keep showing up to try. If we just keep practicing and if we just keep reaching out to each other and to the sacred when we do. All right. Well, that's the examine, friends. I loved sharing it with you over these past few weeks. Next week, like I said, not sure. If you want to let me know any of your opinions or preferences, we could go Demeter Persephone. We could go God of the Forge, which was the many faces thing I mentioned. Or we could go leaping off the side of the boat with David White and and Jesus and then floating in the ocean. We could do all three. We could, I don't know, if you want, let me know which one you want to hear. Um, take a very good care of yourself. If you'd like to check out these step-by-step cards that I mentioned, I will give you a link to that exact thing in my Etsy shop. If you would like to hear and be more reflections around practice and just befriending your humanity and being in a community of people who are trying um, and are trying to befriend their humanity in the sacred in their own ways, I invite you to um, go over to my newsletter. I'll give you a link to that too. You can get yourself your little downloaded coloring book on the examine. You can think about it, draw on it, doodle it, fill it in, and then receive, you know, like some free comic strips from me every month or um, some artwork, some reflections, some essays. It's, uh, it's all sincere and it's all freely given from a place of love and a place of experience for you so that we can do that walking each other home that Ram Das is so famous for talking about. Okay, links to all that stuff in the show notes. Thanks again for joining me on this mini series. More to come. Take very good care of yourself as best as you can. Look in and look out from a place of gratitude, of what you find so incredibly precious and wonderful. And I will see you in seven days. Thank you so much for listening. I love doing this podcast and I want to keep doing it. I need your help. If you can write a review in the Apple platform saying, I like this podcast for the following reason, it would be a real gift of service to me. That bit of administrative effort is required for Apple podcasts to make recommendations for other listeners. Um, it's required for searchability. It's something that needs to happen for my podcast to grow, and I would love for it to grow. And I would deeply appreciate your support in helping me do that. If you're listening on Spotify or any other platform, Whatever tool is there to say thumbs up, five stars, you gotcha. I would love that feedback there as well. Thank you, friends. I am excited about uh, diving into either Persephone or the God of the Forge or maybe leaping off a boat next week. Take good care. <laughs>